guys, welcome to Overcrest. I'm Chris. And I'm Jake. And I hope you enjoyed last week's history episode on our Independence Day special. Yes. You're probably missing us right now because it's been an extra day since you got an episode, but <laughs> here we are to assuage your fears and comfort you in motor oil compression and fumes. Sure. Yeah. How's that sound? Something like that. Something like that. Um, (laughs) I could tell you were making that up on the fly. (laughs) So we have some good news for you guys today. We're also going to get some- Do we have some bad news as well? There is some bad news. (laughs) Okay. There is some bad news. Our lead story is is bad news. Um, And we got some listener feedback that we're going to talk to as well. And you sent me a message that you need to rant about something. And the last time you did this, it was a (laughs) super- You were disappointed I was disappointed because it was just like, oh, my RS4 was something or another. I'm like, oh, poor Jake. This is- the smallest violin plays whatever song my heart bleeds for you so yes. what, what is no, it this so time i i happen to notice that you took the mercedes here today i did because it has nice air conditioning that's correct <laughs> so i also wanted air conditioning for my truck and basically the last time i rode in your truck it felt like mother nature it, was just it was going like, <laughs> and it's just like no so there is the like, lucas warmest when you first start the car up there is like cold ac and then it just slowly tapers off to nothing so the fact that it works but then kind of gets like heat soaked i yeah. was like well it probably just needs a it's just recharge, low on freon right? sounds easy so i bring it into the local uh paramount auto in woodbury there but i've used them, used them before and like it's an ac recharge who cares right it's 80 dollars or whatever it is. yes exactly so i bring it in and they're like all right when do you need it I, first of all i was like how long is this going to take i was expecting them to say 30 minutes to an hour yeah and they're like oh it'll be at least two hours why so it's like okay okay so well, here's then- a, here's what the process is first of all they're going to vacuum it down no i know the process well not everybody knows the process okay, go ahead. so just for time if <laughs> yes. they say two hours this is why this is ridiculous yes it's going to sit being vacuumed down for probably 10 to 12 minutes and i only know this because i just had it done on my mercedes right and it took 15 minutes for the entire process to be done. It took less than that for mine when I went back and had them do it again. (laughs) And I stood there while they did it. Okay, continue. So I can, yes, assure you, it took probably 10 minutes total. All right, let's have it. But at the time, I wasn't in a rush. This was at 9 a.m. I dropped the truck off, and I was going to just sit there and work at the place because I thought it was going to be 15 minutes. Right. An hour, maybe. If it was an hour, I would have stayed. He's like, yeah, probably two hours. I was like, okay. He's like, do you need a ride? I just don't understand how it could take two hours. Because I think he was just trying to pad in where. Like, my appointment was at 10, and I brought it over there at 9.30. Oh, well, there. There's a half an hour there. Still. Anyways. So he was like, well, I can give you a ride home. I was like, oh, that's nice. You know, whatever. That's fine, then. I don't need it right now. I just, I told him, if I can have it before two, that'd be great. That's when I want it by. Mm -hmm. And so quarter to two rolls around. Like, what the hell? I call him. Hey, yeah, we were just getting an estimate together. We were going to give you a call. I was like, what? An estimate on what? An estimate. Well, our tech, you know, he, uh, you know, he drained it out and started to fill it. And it like, it didn't take. And so the compressor's bad. I was like, okay. He's like, so let me give you a call back with this estimate. I was like, okay. But it worked. Right. And so... Another half hour goes by and no call from him. So I'm like, screw it. I'm not going to have them do anything to the truck. So I need to go get it anyways. Right. So I get an Uber. I pay the $8 to go over there and I get there. And first of all, this guy is the most like antisocial, can't talk to customers at all. Why are you going here? I don't know. I don't know. Okay. I'd gone here once or twice before. I didn't think it was a big deal. I'll just bring it here. 
not only that, I ask him questions like, so what happened? How did they test the, um, the compressor? Why do they think it's bad? Well, you know, I'm not really a technical guy. Is what he says. It's like okay, well, that's let me exactly talk what you want to hear. The guy, your tech, and so he like wouldn't let me talk to the guy. Really, he's like in the back. Well, let me go ask him. And then he comes back. He's like, yeah. So he started to he he took he evacuated the system. Right. And then when he went to fill it back up, it didn't take any pressure and started it up, and it didn't do anything. I was like, well, it kind of worked when I brought it here. He's like, yeah. So I think he just put in you know the same amount he took out. I was like okay and so what's this estimate oh also after he hung up on or i hung up on him and heard that it needed a new compressor i called the dealership just to have a baseline in my mind yeah well, how much is it gonna be for a new compressor from the dealership 1200 bucks installed okay okay so then i go back over there and he goes all right so it's 2500 dollars for the compressor installed what i was like no <laughs> no so then i was like you know what? What do I owe you today? I'm just, I got to get out of here. He goes, all right, well, we only charge you for the, the AC check then because we didn't do anything. So 68 bucks. Cool. I get in the truck. It's blowing hot air. And so I'm just upset with these guys. And so I go back in. I was like, hey, why is my truck blowing hot air? At least it worked before. I want to at least have it as good as it was when I came in here in the first place. Okay. So he's like, all right, well, go to Bay 3, and we'll have Jeff try to refill it again. And so we go over there, and Jeff is the technician I should have talked to in the first place. And, okay, so Jeff goes, <laughs> yeah, tried to fill it up, went to zero, nothing there, sorry. I go, well... No, because it was working before. I can tell you that. And you didn't test it before you did this. So he goes to fill it up again. He goes, oh, that's really weird. Now it's reading perfect. Now it's, it's in the green, right? All the pressure and everything else. So what he didn't admit, I later figured out as he's explaining this, he just, it was operator error on his end the first time around. Right. And so he thought then, well, since it's not taking Freon, the system's broken. And so I looked at the work order. They said new compressor, new evac or new evaporator pump or whatever, the, the solenoid valve, yeah. also the condenser. They wanted to replace the whole system. Why would you replace the condenser? I don't know. Whole thing. <laughs> just the whole thing. Okay. So, whatever. Did you call them out? Were you like, hey, guys, what is... No, I just wanted to get out of there at that point because you were texting me, did you melt? Yes. <laughs> I was <laughs> like, where are you? <laughs> and so I, I'm just so upset. So it Do you did think work. that there was a it little bit... It worked again a little bit. So what I did some research on my own, I think it's actually there's two pressure sensors in the system. Okay. Because the um, the compressor was like clutching on and off, just back and forth, on okay. off, on off. So that's why it could still be, it's still working, but it's not giving itself the chance to do it. So okay. I think one of the sensors is off. That's my first thing to replace. So they, they put a full part. charge in it. They put a pound and a half or whatever. They put 1.83 pounds, which he didn't charge me for because I didn't go back inside. Jake. He said, I'm just going to give you a full charge. Okay. And he didn't charge you for the charge. No. So what do you have to, I mean. It's just grumpy. It's really, this is pretty lame. Okay. Come on. He got what? a free charge out of it. Yeah, you're right. What do you have to complain about? He charged the thing up for free. Now you kind of know what's going on. You should be like, hey, I went to the AC place. They couldn't figure it out. But when they tried again, guess what? I got a free charge. <laughs> it sounds How awesome. are you all of a sudden the optimist? Because it sounds like a pretty good deal since it was $69. It was a waste of my time, Chris. 
that may be. Well, you are a working stiff after all. <laughs> all right. Uh, um, indeed. So let's get on to the news here. Let's do it. Let's do it. Before we do, um, I do want to remind everybody to go on iTunes and leave us a five-star review. That really, really helps us out. Be creative with it if you like, but you know, leave us a good review. And, um, we really I th- do appreciate it, and we do go through and read them. We as do. Well. I've read all of them. I read every single one. So uh, we do really, really appreciate that, and it helps us out quite a bit. All right. First story is, uh, do you know who Lee Iacocca is? I do. The father of the Mustang. Not the father of the Mustang, but he's the one that really pushed to make sure that it went okay. forward. I mean, he's the one that was really the kind of the, the the big push, like, let's get this thing done. I don't okay. think, I mean, he didn't design the car or something. You know? True. I would When I think of the father of a car, I think of whoever drew it. That's Yeah, I guess you're right. Yeah, that's who's the father of the car, right? I mean, yeah. when, when you design something that's kind of... Your concept, that's who I would consider the father car. Anyway, yeah. he, uh, he, he, of course, I'm the one that wrote father of the Mustang well. in the show notes here. <laughs> so, I, uh, um, so he was also the savior of Chrysler. So Chrysler, Which I didn't know. Well, that's kind of like his big, big thing. And we're going to play some, play some clips of him so you can kind of get a feel for his personality. Okay. Uh, he had no qualms with sticking to the media, and, and he was a, what I would call a straight talker, <laughs> you know, for, okay. for sure. And he definitely single-handedly saved Save Chrysler. Um, this is Chrysler's statement. Um, Iacocca played a historic role in steering Chrysler through crisis and making it a true competitive force. He was one of the great leaders of our company and the auto industry as a whole. He played a profound and tireless role on the national stage as a business statesman and philanthropist. Fiat, like Fiat Chrysler Automobiles said in a statement. Lee gave us a mindset that still drives us today, one that is characterized by hard work, dedication, and grit. Um, I think you're going to understand the grit part of this. Okay. Um, so he took over struggling Chrysler, which which is um, Fiat Chrysler now. Sure. Um, a few months later, and then bought the automaker back from the brink of bankruptcy by going to Washington in 1979 and basically borrowing 1.2 billion dollars from them. Wow. So he actually closed plants, cut the workforce down, um, didn't take a salary for himself, paid himself a dollar. Wow. And he paid the loan back seven years early. So he was able to turn a profit and then change the company around, paid back the loan seven years early, and, you know, wow. really, really took care of. That basically saved Chrysler. But um, as you were saying, with the Mustang, it's at, in 1960, at age 36, he was the vice president and general manager for Ford and convinced other executives to push ahead with the Mustang in 1964 as an affordable coupe that would appeal to the hearts and wallets of America. In 1970, he was named president of Ford. And led the company until 1978, when he was fired by Henry Ford II. Chrysler picked Iacocca where he stayed until 1992. Now, I think you should do, I looked into a little bit about why he was fired. Yeah. This guy is fascinating. Okay. You're, you're going to have to do a history episode on him. And I, so I'm going to leave it at that. Um, for I'm going to go through some quotes and stuff like that. Um, but I do want you to maybe look into maybe doing one. Yeah, I'll need to. Because he's a pretty, pretty fascinating guy. Uh, hold on a second. Okay, I'm going to play a clip of this. So this is a media interview. So this is the media asking with Lee, Lee, Iacocca. With Lee Iacocca. On the question of selling cars in Japan, um, the Germans now are almost selling as many cars percent share of the market in Japan as they have in this country. BMW and Mercedes, in fact, are ahead. Why is it you think that you guys have such a... Well, here's a misconception. First of all, let's get the facts straight. There are two boutique cars over there that are bought for snob appeal, and they're called two German cars, Mercedes (laughs) and BMW. But in total, you leave those two out. You say, why have you done such a great job? They're high-priced boutique cars for rich, rich people, and there happen to be a lot of rich, rich Japanese. 
But that's one and a half percent of the market. So they're talking about there. Chrysler in Japan and the Japanese uh, We market. are trying, Honda's agreed, to try to sell 5,000 for us. I said it must be a typo. I thought you guys were going to sell 50,000 Cherokees. They know what a Cherokee is. They saw a lot of Jeeps in World War II and the like, so they know what the hell they are. They, they're familiar with it. And, and they, know they're, they, know they're good, they know they're good units. But the truth of the matter is, this car is 25 grand here loaded. When it goes to Japan and gets its board right, it goes to $50,000. So we got some problems there. But you know what the biggest single problem is? The point I made. No dealer wants to sell them. There's a compact uh, here at San I Trust. We couldn't do this. Nobody will sell American cars. They say, build your own dealer network. How? How? I mean, 20 bucks a square foot land or 40 is one thing, but $6,000 a square foot. A small dealership in Tokyo we had planned is $23 million for the land. <laughs> How do I get the volume? How do I do this? So what we really need is reciprocity in the distribution system. The Bush administration calls that SII. Structural Impediments Initiative. It sounds fancy and it gets confusing. What it means is open up your goddamn market the way we've opened up ours. There's no fairness discussed in the press with anybody and certainly in our government. They've taken 50,000 from zero minivans and Jeeps. Why is it? Are they all nuts over there? When the currency changed, we sold 4,000 in Korea from zero, we sold 5,000 in Taiwan from zero, we sold 50,000 in Europe from zero, and guess what? Zero in Japan. You go find out. And you really got to take a look at the sticker, guys and gals. You really got to do this, because I am getting crappy tired of editorials saying we raise prices when the currency's changed. Those writers, whoever they are, writing some of your editors maybe, they got to be living on Mars for the last five years, because the Japanese, and this is a fact, on average, are up 37% since 1986 on price. GM's up 20, Ford's up 16, and Chrysler's up 8. We're up a minuscule 1.6% a year for the last five years, and some of you are writing that we are gouging the American public. Jeez, give me a break, will you? Start digging out the facts. Those are the facts. <laughs> so he's, I mean... He doesn't hold any punches. He doesn't hold, he doesn't pull punches. He is, he, he, he's my kind of guy. I, I like him. I like, I like his attitude. I like the F you and uh, truly, uh, truly a fascinating man. So we'll have to revisit that. Um, rest in peace, Lee. Appreciate everything you did for the American auto industry. Um, yeah. Before, oh, I do have a couple quotes. I'm sorry. Okay. Before I, before we, we, we move on. So he's, he said all these things. If a guy is over 25% jerk, he's in trouble. And Henry Ford II was 95%. <laughs> <laughs> I spent 24 hours with Snoop Dogg and didn't understand a word he said to me the whole time. <laughs> okay. We've got a gang of clueless bozos steering our ship of state right over a cliff. We've got corporate gangsters stealing us blind, and we can't even clean up after a hurricane, much less build a hybrid car. But instead of getting mad, everyone just sits around and nods their heads when the politicians say, stay the course. I hardly recognize this country anymore. There was a period of wow. time where people wanted him to run for president. Really? Yeah, he was really, really critical of George W. Bush Sr., which obviously was kind of, he was the president at the time. Right. Uh, so, I mean, the Interesting. guy, the guy was, a, was on fire all the yeah. time. Uh, so, anyway, we'll, we'll, we'll do an episode about him at some point. Uh, BMW has, your dream, 
my dream has come true. There is now an illuminated. So that big kidney grill that everybody's making fun of yeah. that we made fun of on the other yeah. episode is now illuminated. <laughs> <laughs> oh, great. So there's a picture there if you want to. Uh, I'm it, looking at it now. Wow. Yeah. You So you can really. And there's a picture of this. So this is the BMW X6, yep. I believe, which has just been released today as we're recording this. Wow. And I want you to look at the picture. And there's one thing that this reminds me of. This looks, they're really trying to make this thing look sporty. Right. I mean, it's okay. It's got the scoop behind the rear wheel, which would normally be to vent brake or for aerodynamics. Right. There's I mean, you can, there's nothing there. The wheel well is going to cover that up. Right. The M Sport badge, the glowing grill, the blue stuff inside glowing the headlights. Grill. Yeah. I mean, this thing is full sporterized. And then it reminded me of um, I mean, you're kind you you've had guns in your hand before. Have you ever hold, held an overly sporterized rifle <laughs> where the guy comes to the range and he's got yes, yeah, and he's got like an ACOG scope on it with the canted iron that sights. Me. That was, no, that was you. Me. That is you, isn't it? Yeah. Yes, of course it is. Accessorizing. <laughs> does that surprise you? No, no, it does not. I'm surprised you don't tape a deck lid to your gun. <laughs> there you go. All right. Um, so the first hybrid cruise ship is on its way. Now, okay. bear, bear with me, okay? So the role, there's a point to this. And we're okay. not just talking about cruise ships on the Overcrest podcast for no reason. Well, it's transportation. That's fair game. The Rolled Amundis, Amundsen is a 500-passenger cruise ship, and it's the world's first vessel of its kind to be powered by battery power. Operated by cruise operating firm Hurtigruten, it set off on yesterday from a port in Tromso in northern Norway and will cruise to Alaska and eventually to Antarctica sometime in October. So it's Norwegian. Correct. Hence the name. <laughs> yes. Okay. The ship is specifically designed to handle extremely rough waters, a necessity giving its intended routes. Named after the famed Norwegian explorer Roald Amundsen, a name made a name for himself after navigating the Northwest Passage between 1903 and 1906. He was also the first explorer to reach the South Pole in 1911. Wow. It's a good namesake. Yeah. The Royal Emerson still runs on traditional marine oil, but it also houses a massive battery pack that can propel the ship completely on electricity for periods up to 45 to 60 minutes under the right conditions. So basically coming in and out of port, maybe. Sure, okay. You know, no rough waters, obviously. According to Hertegruten, that reduces the ship's carbon dioxide emissions by about 20%. Really? 20%. Now, this is a big deal. And let me yes. tell you why. Carnival cruise ship fleets pollute almost 10 times more than all the cars in Europe combined. That's just 47 wow. ships compared to 260 million cars. Wow. It has been estimated that just one of the giant container ships that brings you all your shit from China um, is very similar. They're, they're, they're some of the worst polluters that exist. Um, those ships are on the length of around eight football fields and can yep. produce the same amount of pollution as 50 million cars. 50 the emissions, million the emissions from 15 of these mega ships match those of all the cars in the world. And if the shipping industry were a country, it would be ranked between Germany and Japan as the sixth largest contributor to global emissions. Yeah. Today, most ships burn bunker fuel. It's heavy and toxic, doesn't evaporate, and emits far more sulfur than other fuels. It is poisonous to fish and crustaceans and isn't good for seabirds or pretty much anything that is alive. That's not good. So you understand my point, right? Yeah, this is where we should be really focusing our efforts. It is incredible the amount of, I mean, we're pushing so hard on cars right. and coal and everything 50 else. 50 million cars. 50 million cars. These things are 
dirty. It is the grossest. It's basically the leftover after gas has been refined. Yeah. They make they make this bunker fuel or whatever. And then it gets thrown into these ships and they just chug and, like, gug, 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 gug. Yeah, they're not efficient. They're not efficient any... at all. Yeah, I well, I think it makes sense. This is where they should be focusing. So if technology. this thing is reducing emissions by twenty percent, that's insane. That's if all ships were had this technology mm-hmm. and could reduce emissions by even ten percent, that would make more of a dent than almost anything we're doing with cars. Agreed. You know what else comes to mind thinking about trying to make these ships more efficient? At least half the time, they have to be going with the wind, right? Yeah, I guess, yeah, I suppose. No, I'm not talking about going back to sailing vessels, but why don't they have, like, massive parachutes or something that, like, help pull? Because I I think they're going pretty slow. I don't know that you're... What are you going to do when the parachute all of a sudden falls in the water? And then all of a sudden, it's not a parachute. It's it's an anchor. I feel like there has to be a way to use the wind to help this. Back in the day, when you would have big sailing ships, they would have like a little tiny parachute. Yeah. That if you wanted to cut a certain amount of sail without making any noise because you wanted to attack another ship, you'd drop one of these parachutes in the water and it would slow you down without having to mess with your rigging. Interesting. Yeah. But I was I thinking a spinnaker. Do you know what a spinnaker is? Yeah, I don't know that that's going to work. That's what I want to see on these things. They're eight football fields long. It'd be a big spinnaker, Chris. <laughs> Real big sail. I don't think so. I think, what if they? What if the shipping containers had solar panels on them? That too. Because that is a huge surface area. Yes. So why don't we have some of the panels have, what if some of the containers have solar panels? Solar panel. Then we can have hybrid. Spinnaker sail. There's, so there's no reason not to have every one of these be a diesel hybrid. If it's saving ten to twenty percent, yeah. Other than cost, would you be willing to pay more for all your goods? Uh, probably not. Would but you, we should. Would you be willing to pay fifteen percent more for everything from Amazon? Yeah, I would too. I would if I well, knew it would be such a embedded cost that I just wouldn't. So the wouldn't o- notice. So the only way to make this happen would be to regulate it worldwide. Worldwide, which is probably fairly tough to do. Yeah. All right. So um, I'm going to read you a little bit of an article about how to get your McLaren impounded in 10 minutes. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. In what is surely one of the shortest terms of vehicle ownership in Canadian history, a driver in British Columbia had their brand new McLaren 600 LT impounded just minutes before driving off the lot in June. According to after police, driving off the lot, after I driving, sorry that. Uh, according to police reports, the 39-year-old gearhead. How do they know he's a gear? Well, if you're buying a McLaren, are you automatically yes, a gearhead? That's kind of a leap, though. Picked up his supercar in West Vancouver and quickly caned it up to 161 kilometers an hour in a 90 kilometer an hour zone. 150, basically yeah. 100 miles an hour in a 50. Yep, that's illegal. Yes, anything doubling the speed limit, at least in the state of Minnesota, is now. What a gross misdemeanor, I think. So, yeah, you get your car impounded. Right. The ever-vigilant constabulary. <laughs> constabulary. What's with the writing on this? This is a Canadian article. The ever-vigilant constabulary nabbed him on the Highway 1 and impounded the car. While the officer was conducting the investigation, the driver allegedly stated they had just left the dealership after purchasing the vehicle 10 minutes prior. <laughs> West Vancouver police said in a news release, price tags on the 600 LT can easily crest a quarter million in this country. It was towed away from the scene and impounded for seven days. In a statement, cops said the driver was ticketed $368 or 0.1% of the car's value for excessive <laughs> speeding. So don't don't some of the European countries yes. give speeding tickets based on your income? Yes. Like Norway, right? Yep, because there's like the cases of the guys getting like million dollar speeding tickets. Do you think that's fair? I don't know. 
Do you think just because... In some way, you would say, well, yeah, it's fair. That's income-based. But... But it's the same... If you're operating on the same behavior as another person, if you're both doing the same wrong thing... Exactly. What if it was lashings instead of money? Yes, you'll have 50 lashings. Lashings. Oh, you want an oil company? We're going to have to lash you till you're dead. I mean, it's just not... Yeah, it just doesn't seem... It to the extreme. Yeah, that makes sense. What if it was time spent in prison? What if it was... You know, because that's going to be punitive. You're not going to be able to make well, money. Here, here's the difference, though. The monetary, the reason that it makes sense to have it a percentage is because since it is so small in context to your income, you're not going to feel it. So it's not as big of a, I guess, punishment to you as it is to the guy who. The is point is class. that it is as much of a punishment. That's why they do charge you more money. So it does feel the same. Right. That's what I'm saying. Okay. So if it is income based, the argument is that is the same. You're going to feel that the same. It does not seem, it just doesn't seem ethical to me to, to, to punish people for the same crime in two different ways. With monetary, it makes a little more sense. Your, Why? Your example of time or, or corporal punishment, yeah, certainly would. So, but your time and the labor that you spend. I know. Is a this, finet, is, this is getting is, pretty. Is a finite resource. So. I don't know. I, I don't. I don't know. Okay. Well, we'll move on. Um, so I found a new key for your H3. Oh? And because you have an, you have an Audi key or a Volkswagen key yeah, yeah, with I, your truck. Because the damn you know Chevrolet Hummer key circa 2009, you had an old-fashioned key, and then you had the key fob that was attached via a key ring. Oh, so the key was not integrated with the right, fob. Right. No, if it was, that would have been fine. But this I, is in 2009? Yeah. They didn't have that? Yeah. <laughs> so I didn't like that. So I, I put it in a Volkswagen little Sidewinder thing, well, switchblade key. I found you a new key. Ooh, I'm So excited. click where it says, I found a new key. Okay. Um, for those with more money than they can spend, meet a Wayne's Phantom car key. It's just $563,000. Oh. It's a key that goes through a process more similar to fine jewelry making there <laughs> other than manufacturing. The Dubai-based company, of course, offers the Phantom with numerous customization options, but each key has a few standard features. Uh-huh. Foremost, every key receives 34 and a half carats worth of diamonds. <laughs> From there, various precious stones may be installed. The inner portion features options for wood finishes and a few leather choices in various colors. When it's finished, the key also houses just over six ounces of 18 karat gold. Now here's so this is just a jewelry piece. Why is it 18 karat gold instead of 24 karat gold? It's a five hundred and sixty-three thousand yeah, dollar key. I don't know. Just use the factory key. Otherwise, your wife will give you the wrong key, and you'd be stranded at the boat launch while she sips cocktails three nautical miles away. <laughs> it doesn't say that, does it? <laughs> it does in my notes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's pretty good. Yep, I like that. This actually is is what happened to Jake. Right? Yes, right. Yeah, we recounted that on a previous uh, <laughs> news episode. For others, the company has other options. Uh, they also sell a $100,000 key and a plebeian $55,000 key, oh, well, both geez. of which feature fewer diamonds, though the same amount of solid gold. Plebeian, by the way. That's what I said. Plebeian. Uh, well, I, when you play video games and you want to make fun of somebody, you call them a pleb. Okay. So I just that's probably where I got plebeian from. That's okay. So I talked to... You, you uh, know what you should call him instead? What? A Jeep. A Jeep. You a Jeep! <laughs> you son of a Jeep! <laughs> so regulators now want to limit trucks to... Um, semi-trucks, 18-wheel, right. uh, to 65 miles per hour. Mm, why? Well, let's talk about it. 
A new bipartisan bill introduced by two United States senators would require the speed of all new commercial semi-trucks to be electronically limited to 65 so miles per hour. I think they're already electronically limited to 70, aren't they? It depends on the carrier. Okay. It's a, it's basically a carrier liability thing sure. right now. Okay. I know our, one of our listeners, Ryan Rask, Yeah, his is limited to 62. Really? Yeah. That's terrible. That's terrible. The legislation coined the Colum Owings Large Truck Safe Operating Speed Act of 2019 okay. would require manufacturers to fit brand new tractor trailers with electronic speed limiters that would prevent the trucks from traveling at speeds above 65. The regulation would also extend to trucks with existing speed limiters already installed, but would not require retrofitting unequipped trucks with the new technology. So everybody's going to be driving around in those, those flat-faced uh, yeah. Peterbilts yep. that look like they're from, from the 70s. Yeah, those things are awesome. The cabovers. Yes, Cab those things trucks. look so sweet. Yeah, they do. What's that movie where all the trucks start attacking the restaurant? There's a there's a movie where all the semi trucks start attacking the restaurant. Like heavy, is it heavy metal? I is don't that, know this movie. I think it's heavy metal. Maybe it's not. Um, <laughs> anyway, it's a, it's a great movie. It's all these trucks come alive and they're trying to get in. They're they, there's people trapped in the gas station. Wow, it's awesome! Great movie. <laughs> you have so many obscure, weird movie references that I've never heard. Oh, of. it's a great movie. I'm sure someone's screaming at the radio right now. Two senators included the measure, uh, introduced the measure last Saturday: Georgia Republican Johnny Isaacson and Democrat Chris Coons. The duo cites the endorsement of seven roadway and industry safety coalitions who back the legislation. The majority of trucks on our roads already have speed limiting technology built in, and the rest of the technology advanced world. Has already the rest of the technologically advanced world has already put them into to use the ensure this whoever wrote this whoever said this anyway so they say hey we already got this in the truck let's do it anyway we can prevent we can prevent fatalities the Department of Transportation says that a regulation that requires speed limiters would save lives and have a minimal cost associated with its implementation in fact the DOT predicts that such a rule would prevent an estimated one thousand one hundred and fifteen fatal crashes annually that involve class seven and eight trucks at highway speeds really are there i didn't look this up but are there really that many semi-truck crashes i didn't think so that kill over a thousand people i didn't think so i wouldn't think and so. it must be more than that because obviously they're not reducing fatalities to zero right so they must presume that there's 1500 to 2000 fatalities so you're telling me so okay 2000 fatalities a thousand fatalities terrible right yeah there's 350 million people in this country yeah. This is a fraction. Well, so let me get to even of total auto accidents. It's, it's is, a fraction. Yes. And I will get to why this is dumb in a minute. Um, so currently there's no official regulation on trucks. And so this is why this is stupid. Okay. Here's the problem. The pace of traffic is moving at 70, 75, sure. 80, yep. 85, 90, Sometimes. depending on what state you're in. Yes. You know, some of the speed limits are 80, so everybody's doing 85. If these trucks are going 65. Now you're introducing a 20 mile an hour deficit. A huge deficit. So you're making people make decisions. Yes. That is the problem. Anytime you force. It's like a traffic backup where the right lane isn't moving and the left lane, they're still speeding by at 50 miles an hour and someone tries to cut out into that traffic. Oh, it's the worst. Right? It's the worst. That's it's literally what you're going to make happen here. If is, you have a semi. All you're doing is introducing some a situation where someone has to make an action right anytime you introduce that on the interstate you're causing more problems i think this will actually increase fatalities yeah i think I that you're going to see disagree. a serious problem and i still don't understand how is five mile per hour difference in a truck's speed 
changing anything. I imagine there's probably something with the EPA in here too, with yeah, with environmental stuff. I don't know. It just doesn't seem. I think it's a terrible idea. Um, I asked Ryan, our, yeah. our resident truck driver. He says it's a terrible idea because anytime you make people change lanes, that right. is the changing lanes is the most dangerous thing you can do on the freeway. Yeah. That you do all the time. I mean, there's obviously if you go 150, that's dangerous too. But just changing lanes, the casual stuff that you do, right? That's what causes problems. So yeah, I agree with you. Stupid bill. Let just these guys are some of the safest drivers out there. That's just it too. The I feel like these guys are driven millions are not of miles. The ones you have to worry about. What, that and their license is at stake if they do get in a crash or anything. Hundred like percent. It's their livelihood. Exactly. So whenever I'm driving, I give trucks the ultimate right away. Yeah. If they need to get over, I slow way down. Yes. And I don't even care. I don't care. They're, they're just doing their thing. They're doing their job. Some of the trucks are limited. Sometimes you're like, man, these guys are going almost the same speed. It's like a, it's like a, the worst drag race I've ever seen in my life. They can't help it. Yeah. So you just you let it go. And I just don't think we need to make these guys' job any harder. And I don't think you need to make it more dangerous for anybody else. There's way more important things that we can be doing in this country well, than this Well, that can be stupid. said about a lot of laws that get <laughs> Okay, that's fine. That doesn't make this any better. <laughs> no, I know. It's hard to argue with you. All right, so one more reason that California is the best and worst place to own a car. Okay. Uh, on Monday, the wallets of millions of California drivers will become a little bit lighter as a state with one of the highest gas taxes in the nation increase the government grab at the pump. Okay, so increasing gas tax. Yes. California's freedom fuel tax rose five points. The way people use language is just freedom fuel. Any, if it's Anytime you, like Justice Department is actually in Justice Department, or Environmental Protection Agency is actually the non-environmental. It's always the opposite of whatever it is. So whatever it is, whatever they call it, just remember that it's the opposite. Freedom fuel. Freedom fuel. <laughs> tax rose 5.6 cents as of Monday, bringing the total tax to a staggering 47.3 cents per gallon. The 7.5% change represents a planned increase stemming from blah, 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 blah. The tax's purpose is to provide additional income to both state and local government agencies in order to help rebuild crumbling infrastructure and increase funding for public transportation. Mm-hmm. I don't understand why they can't just fix the situation out there. Yeah. There is that was what was so surprising going out there is the roads are terrible. They are awful. But here's the thing. There is so many people there that public transportation cannot carry the weight. They need to take this money, fix the roads, figure out how they're going to add more lanes, add a double-decker program, whatever it is. You, there's not enough buses. There's not enough trains. They can't even build a train. They started to build a train, and then they can't build the train because they're too stupid to build a train. <laughs> it's just everything out there. It's, there's <laughs> so many hands in the cookie jar. You know who this hurts most? Is People that make twenty, thirty thousand dollars a year, right? They can't afford this. They're already putting four dollars in their gas tank at a time. Well, that's why we're going to subsidize public transit. <sighs> well, that's where they'd like them to be. They're making that choice for them, essentially. Uh, but for many, this year's gas tax hike is just the beginning of a price squeeze, which lawmakers and consumers, advocacy groups will say will make the state even less affordable to inhabit. Mm -hmm. California State Board of Equalization. Ooh. There's another name. The State Board of Equalization anticipates that the gas tax will continue to increase annually in order to keep up with the California Consumer Price Index. Wow. They have their own price index because it's that out of control out there. Hmm. Um, I had an issue with the tax increase when it went into effect because I felt that it should be paid for by the oil refinery's excessive profits. Consumer watchdog President Jamie Court told local news outlet ABC7. 
The state of California is investigating now the high cost of gas in the state. I know what it is because I look at the oil refineries' profit reports. It's gouging. When the oil refineries are making more off California gasoline than they make anywhere else in the nation, we know that's gouging. Actually, consumer watchdog president Jamie, California has the second highest gas tax per gallon in the country. It's the it's the majority of the cost is right. is taxes. Um, so state gas tax in Alaska, twelve point three cents per gallon, and it's what is it forty seven forty seven uh, or. cents. Right. I saw another place that said 54 cents, but wow, um, whatever. So they've been paying tons of gas forever. Um, Whatever. I don't know. So, yeah, it looks like they're paying $3.76 per gallon on average, and the rest of the country is paying less than $2.72. Additionally, a a handful of other states recently found themselves in the receiving end of substantial tax hike illinois doubled its from 19 to 38 that's that's a huge that's a huge jump and ohio increased it uh about 10 and a half yeah so what do you think the last front engine corvette sold for wow so they just produced and sold the last one the last well sort of but i'll get to that oh what do you think it went for this was an auction i assume an auction yes Mm. barrett jackson i've Basically, the, the last front-engine rear-wheel drive Corvette. I'm going to say 300000 The hammer was dropped on the last C7 Corvette at the Barrett-Jackson auction with the final sale price of a whopping $2.7 million. <laughs> All proceeds are going to the Stephen Siller t- Tunnel to Towers Foundation. The C7 that actually crossed the auction block isn't the actual car, but the lucky new owner will receive as it hasn't been built yet. The okay. car at Barrett-Jackson is an identical Z06. Sure. So, basically so they're it, auctioning off what will be the, the last the one. ticket. Yeah. Yeah, basically. Wow. The auction will benefit the Stephen Siller Tunnel to Towers Foundation, which helps pay off mortgages for the families of first responders that were killed in the line of duty and builds mortgage-free, accessible smart homes for injured, injured service members. The foundation was named after Stephen Siller, a New York City firefighter who died on September 11th. Every dollar from the sale will go to the foundation. GM has been a supporter of the foundation for the past few years, and the first production 2019 ZR1 was auctioned off to, to, the, to benefit it and sold for $925,000. Okay. So whenever something goes for charity, it always is. Yeah. It always is greased a little bit, right? Oh, absolutely. But still, $2.7 million for the last Corvette. Is Which, that how people are seeing it? Is it the last Corvette? Yeah. <laughs> well, if nothing else, it goes to say the fact that it was worth auctioning off, regardless of the amount of money. The fact that it was worth auctioning off just goes to show that people are, this is an end of an era. Right. All right. So let's get into some listener voicemails and questions. Okay. All right. So we're going to start with Shane. And I've been holding this one for quite a while. We talked a little bit about it on the cool or not episode. Yes. Um, we're just going to play it and then we'll discuss afterward. Hello, Chris and Jake. On the latest episode of this podcast, I heard a friendly and ongoing debate between myself and Chris referenced. The topic of this debate has been Mark prejudice and whether it is deserved or not. The debate started up after hearing Kia being used in a throwaway joke about appliance cars multiple times on the podcast. In the past, I've held a similar opinion to Chris's that Kias were awful before I test drove a 2013 Soul with a six-speed. It reminded me of my Mark I in that it was light, nimble, and quite usefully packaged. Two days and a bit of research later, I bought it. Chris, 
I both respect you and thoroughly enjoy the podcast and the antics within. However, listening to you recount a debate is like watching scrambled adult channels on cable. (laughs) You get to see part of what has actually happened flicker by here and there. And if you're lucky, a nipple of truth if you squint and turn your head slightly. I'd like to propose a topic for discussion. What makes or breaks a Mark's reputation? And what does it take to redeem a broken one? I'll use Kia and its parent company Hyundai as an example. Hyundai entered the U.S. zeitgeist in the early 90s as the crap heap that Rodney King had his infamous car chase in. They made cheap, awful, entry-level appliance cars. They weren't particularly safe or exciting and had the shelf life of a loaf of bread. After a change in direction came with a 2008 leadership shuffle, Hyundai started putting out decent cars and a few years after started receiving quality awards. They have since started to offer models and trim levels meant to provide entry-level fun cars, trying to keep that segment's interest in enjoying driving. They have made inroads into higher-end fun cars, last year hiring three BMW M Division executives to their performance division, and have fielded a successful WRC team. They've kept manual transmissions available when it is not particularly profitable, because enthusiasts might want one, and they would like to encourage that. In a manufacturing environment where more respected marks are headed towards autonomous operation, electrification, and dilution of the visceral driving experience, how long does a mark like Kia and Hyundai have to head in the right direction before they erase the stains of a certain 1987 Excel? Inversely, how long does Porsche have selling SUVs 4 to 1 over 911s before its reputation is diluted as an enthusiast-focused brand? I have the same question about BMW moving on from manual transmissions and its autonomous R&D, Lamborghini with the Urus, and the list goes on. I'd like to hear both of your opinions on the subject. Thank you. Well, thanks. That was great, and thank you very for well recording spoken. it very, very yes, well. and high-quality I love Shane. He's, he's extremely witty. You know, he, he t- is very. And uh, I, I always enjoy having conversations with him, and I've had a couple long conversations on road trips that I've done via via the internet, you know, just talking back and forth <laughs> uh, on this particular topic. Oh, really? Uh, and here's the thing is basically I I told him that um, I wasn't really that interested in test driving a Kia. Okay. That's kind of how this started. And he's like, well, why not? And I said, because they're, they don't interest me at all. Okay. Which is only sort of true. How so? I was driving the other day on the freeway. And I go, wow, look at that thing. That Jaguar looks sweet. Yeah. And you know what Kia it was? Stinger. It was the Kia Stinger, but yes. it was not the one that I'm used to seeing. It had some extra ground effects, or okay. So, I mean, it looked they really, look really, amazing. really good. Yeah. So that, that car is is, but I still wouldn't own it. And here's why: there hasn't. So he's basically his premise is: we used to suck. We're trying to fix it. Maybe right. we fixed it. That's like the, the cliff notes of this. Am I right? Yes, he goes the other way with it too. At what point is a respected manufacturer that has all this we'll brand heritage? We'll okay. get there. Okay. So we used to suck. We don't suck now. We really don't want to suck. That's kind of what is going on. <laughs> okay. It's definitely sucking. <laughs> I've been waiting to play that again for a long time. Um, <laughs> I didn't know if that was just it. That was the end of your. No, your yeah, no, no, that's not it. So here, here's the thing it takes more time. It takes a lot more time. And this goes back to a little bit about what we talked about on Friday, where we talked about all the steps that it takes 
to get to where a manufacturer has gotten themselves to. Sure, as far as pedigree. Pedigree. Kia, I mean, great. So in the last 10 years, the last five years, they've really been giving it their go. Awesome. He says that they don't, you know, they're not on this crazy electric autonomous car bandwagon. That's because their buyers can't afford it. Mm. And that's the market just, if if there was a market for for an electric car at $18,000, you bet your ass Kia would make one. They Probably. would be busting their ass to get that car out there so that their buyers could buy it. But the market isn't there. It costs too much money. You know, yeah, Volkswagen is not wrong. Volkswagen is really going to be squeaking by getting like the ID stuff at an affordable price for people. Yeah. So I, I think that's probably it. You, I will play devil's advocate here. You are still missing, I think, the point or skirting around the fact that you're not taking any of these vehicles just at face value. So if none of the badges were on that car and you didn't know if you, for whatever reason, weren't able to see, you're blind to the fact that that's a Kia instead of a Mercedes A-Class or whatever it might be, you, you're not taking it on value. You're still talking about the brand, how Kia used to be, and we don't know if it's quite there yet. But you're but admitting you can't, that you wouldn't look at a Kia. But you can't say that because that's the way the entire market structure is set up. Branding matters. The pedigree matters. It's been pounded in for decades. You can't just take that out because then you're in a, in a world that doesn't exist. Why are we making arguments and a premise of a world that isn't here? Oh, okay. So why does branding matter then? I guess is the question. If a car is better. Because a car is also an identification tool. That's, I think, the you, bottom line. You can ascribe personality to yes. a car it can be part of who you are it can define who you are exactly and for better or for worse yes. in many cases and when you have pedigree you're part of when like for my car and i would consider myself at this point a porsche guy okay i love my car and it's all about how it drives but it's also about what it's associated with with sure i can go my car is associated with the 935. My car is in that car somewhere. When you look at a 935, I can look at the floor and go, yeah, that's pretty much my floor. That's my part of that tub is my car. Mm -hmm. Very aspirational. And that didn't happen overnight. I mean, that's over a large period of time where, you know, we're winning races, we're doing motorsport, but, you know, we also have street cars that are, you know, they're dangerous. They killed people, the 930, blah, blah, blah. All that stuff is in the DNA of a car. It's in the identity of the brand. And you can say that for um, for the Corvette, maybe. You can say it for some of the M brand, although to kind of switch switch a little bit and say what he was commenting about like bmw is not offering as many manual transmissions anymore that doesn't mean that manufacturers can't lose their way oh for sure because they can i think bmw has yeah they've got a couple cool cars like the m2 is cool right and, and you can but why is that it's because it harkens back to what it was 100 cars lighter yes more driver engagement 100 percent. and what they're doing and it comes up and all the articles i read all the news i read BMW has to do this because their biggest market is China. China. So then they have glass shift knobs and stupid badges <laughs> all over the place. And the thing is fully sporterized with a glowing grill. Yeah. It's terrible. So you can lose it. Yeah. And which sucks because the M Motorsports brand was is is an incredible brand. I've been looking into doing an episode about the old DTM stuff. Yeah. And what BMW was able to do back then is incredible. 350 horsepower out of a two and a half liter four cylinder engine. Right. And that car has won more races than any other car, any like any model of car. I mean, obviously, Porsche has won more races over a period of time, but mm -hmm. that car is, as a model, 
I think wow. it's it's way up there. Hmm. But that's fading away because they're they're selling their soul out. <laughs> so I mean, they're diluting. Yeah. So we'll brand. see where it goes. I mean, we haven't. You know, you have a graph, right? Yeah. If Kia's down here and BMW's way up here, and BMW is slowly slipping, right? Mm -hmm. And Kia is slowly growing. It you got a ways to go. Okay, you've got a ways to go. You've got it. You can't just be like, oh, well, we're just going to offer a manual transmission. It takes a lot more than that for me. There's a lot more identity that goes into it than that. And that's what it comes down to. I think the bottom line is it is the identity of the brand, not necessarily whether what the product is, is just as good or not. It's basically like uh, an analogy might be, guess what? My backpack is much cheaper than a coach purse or whatever it might be. Right. And it is more functional and probably more durable. Here's a question. If Coach Purse company made a backpack, would you buy it? No. Why not? I Because that's not my market. <laughs> I don't know. seems like but, you would. <laughs> okay, that's lame. No, but I'm saying like with handbags or any, you can use any other thing where branding and image matters more right. than functionality. Well, a lot of people, shoes. Is, value is ascribed with is, it, to quality all the time. There's people that won't pay They'll pay for something. They'll pay more because they assume it's better quality because it costs more. Oh, sure. So there's always going to be those people out there. Yeah, but I, that same analogy applies to the mark. Even if that Kia is better at face value because it doesn't have the identity, it's not looked upon as, as high quality. And here's another thing that kind of ties into it a little bit is because they're cheaper— how do I say this without sounding like a jerk? Because they're cheaper, the owner, the people that buy them— don't take care of them as much. Um, okay. Another way I to see, say that, I see though, far more crappy Kias and Hyundais driving around than I do Mercedes and BMW. Right. Well, yeah. It is more of an appliance vehicle right. and in the, that sense. So, Even, therefore, the pride of ownership is lower. And by the time you get a Kia that's, you know, four or $5,000, $2,000, they're trashed. And you see so many of those type of Kias and Hyundais driving around that I don't want to be associated with that. That's just a group that I don't want to be associated with because all the cars, they look terrible when they're driving around because nobody take, takes care of them. Interesting. Now, I don't think you're going to see that with a Kia Stinger. No. I don't right. think you're going to see that. I think you're going to see that car well taken care of because it's a, it is a definitely a cool car. Yeah. And it's bought by a different type of person. That's what I was going to get into. It also goes into kind of the mentality of who's buying this car. What's the image of the person, not just the brand itself. But what type of person buys this car? Right. All right. I think that's covers that topic. Thanks for you know sending that in. I know it took us a long time to get to it, but um, I hope I hope I satisfied you, and I can't wait to hear how I did not. Yeah, I appreciate it. So Ryan Rask says I've got a potentially interesting topic to discuss on the podcast: window tint on old cars. How dark is too dark? None at all. Yes on some cars, no on others. What do you think? Uh, I used to like window tint and i am opposed to it now he says people used to ask me when i was going to tint my rabbit i felt that doing that would wreck the airy greenhouse look of the car especially being a four-door and that is one of the really nice things about old cars yeah is you can just look there's no blind spots right yeah you, usually you're, you're gonna die if open. someone runs into you but at least you can see it coming <laughs> i guess <laughs> um, i love the tint on my mercedes i was gonna pull it off but i really like it you know i can actually when i roll the window down and it's hot out I can feel the, like the sun, the heat, the radiation, the, radi the, the the radiant the, heat, the radiate the radiation. Yeah, it is radiation. I can feel it. Yeah. I can. I just. I like the tint. I don't know. 
<laughs> it depends on the car. Yeah. I would never tint the 911. Can you take off your stupid banner on the windshield? No, I like it. It's fine. Mm-hmm. That's my deck lid. <laughs> yeah, it is for sure. Um, I've I've considered taking it off many times. I go back and forth, but there's been times where you know the sun is right in between the mirror and the sun visor, and that tint is there, and I'm like, thank God that tint's there because I'm not blind. <laughs> it's it's been pretty good. Now you saw something tinted today. <laughs> yeah, I was in the 911 coming to the studio here, and it was uh, a very um, how it was do a I cayenne, right? It was a cayenne. T- uh, d- the the taste of the gentleman who was driving it was questionable. Okay. Big chrome wheels, dark, dark, dark tint. And there was also like extra turbo badges everywhere as well. And so the guy rolls down the window at me and he goes, hey, what year's that car? And I was like, oh, 1970. He's like, that's cool, man. And just rolls his window back up. <laughs> <laughs> you know, this is ruining my theory about associated by the car that you drive. Yeah, well. <laughs> now we're all associated with that guy. Yeah, true. Um, so, uh, one more, I think we have, do we have time for one more? Sure. Yeah. We have time for one more. Hey, Overcrest podcast. Uh, I just want to leave you guys some quick impressions on the two CV. The new episode's great. The, uh, there was a guy who brought a two CV to a car show last weekend and I actually got, he, he, I walked up to the car and he had the hood popped open and every time the wind blew, the hood actually flexed in the wind and looked like it was just going to fly off. It was ter- terrifying. And the the steel on that car is so unbelievably thin, uh, it will it will blow your mind. It, it, it doesn't look like it can be a car. Uh, <laughs> the other thing that was crazy is he, he popped the door open, and the car kind of jiggled when he popped the door open. And he said, want to sit inside? Uh, I'm not going to say no, but I sat inside, and when you sit down in a 2CV, the entire, that suspension, which is wacky because it runs along the sides of the car instead of across, it's, the whole car kind of just tips over as soon as you sit down. <laughs> um, I, if you get the chance to ever even just sit in one, uh, do it, and also look under the hood because the the linkage on the, the gear shift uh, is something where they could have used a hind joint and instead they used a flat piece of metal that they twisted 90 degrees in the middle. <laughs> Perfect. I mean, it is simplistic engineering, but you can see all of the little things where, um, you know, it's, I don't know, very French, very, very French. But anyway, keep up the good work with podcast. So awesome. I, didn't, I didn't catch his name. He didn't leave his name. Yeah. So we'll call him Hey well, hey Guy. I'll just say that's why they called it the umbrella on four wheels. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I generally like things that jiggle. <laughs> so that sounds okay to me. All right, we got uh, we got time for a few more. Sure. Um, Adam Kern says, have you ever covered the 915 versus the G50? Now he's talking about the Porsche transmission. So the 915 gearbox was from 1972 to 1984, 83, okay. and then the G50 box is from 1984 to 1987, 88, I think. Cool. Something in there. Anyway, so the 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 biggest thing is people say um, the, the 915 is garbage and the G50 is amazing. Okay. And I actually feel the opposite. Why is that? The G50 is much taller. It's a really tall gearbox. Oh, sure. And the it's gearing much, itself. It's much heavier. Now, the only problem with the 915 is that if you – drive it like a total asshole yeah you are going to grind a gear ah you'll just you'll shift and it'll go and it'll just it'll just grind into gear just a little 
just yeah. a little bit. And you can't go into first while you're moving is, is a really bad idea because I don't I don't know that first is synchronized. Maybe it is. I'm not sure. But you can't go into first gear. So everybody, it's always the battle of 915, 915 versus G50. I don't know. I like the 915. Yeah. I like the way and, it shifts. Mine my, is, my transmission is the predecessor even to the 915, right. 901. You have the dog leg Which box. is the dog leg, which is kind of cool. That's where first is down and to the left. And the reason for that is in racing, you only need first for starting out. The rest of it is right in that H pattern. Two, That's three, right. Two, three, four, five. And I kind of like that as well. But if you don't expect it, it's tough to get your mind in the mindset. Well, what's of, crazy is every shift pattern on three vehicles I own are all different. <laughs> they're all manual but they're all different is your muscle memory caught up to that yet no i have to look down at the knob when i'm going into reverse because i can't remember remember. which car i'm in and where it is so the real hayden asks should i keep my alpha 4c or sell it and get a current gen nsx i already have an rs7 and a tesla model s performance for daily driver also i know you hate teslas but there are a few better daily drivers than one of the tesla performance models which is probably true probably true i mean they're they're at least for now we'll see what else comes out later i still wouldn't choose it but um i love that 4c i do too but i, I also don't know why how much are the the gen the current gen nsx's i thought are we talking about two completely different price brackets here well the 4c is older and they only made them right for a couple years yeah i don't know i the, don't know i feel like the nsx is going to be filled with technology right you know i mean that's it just it depends on the driving love, experience you're I going do, for if we're up to me and the money was equal which i have no idea if they are then i would definitely go 4c it's got the rare factor it's more analog it my favorite quote or detail about that car is so it's mid-engine and there should be trunk space up in the front but they just bolted the hood down in the front so you don't, you're not able to get you're to it. You're not even allowed to. No, because it's for lightness. <laughs> you know, it's, it's for weight savings. Yeah, I like that idea. I do I too. really do. I don't know that we're talking about these cars are very, very different. Yeah, for sure. So basically, I mean, you really need to just go drive the NSX and then drive the Alpha. And, you know, you really need to just figure out what's going to work best for you. They're really, really different. So it's for, for me, it's difficult to compare the two. Yeah, I would agree with that. All right, that's it. That's all we've got time for. All right. Well, that was an awesome episode. Hopefully you guys enjoyed it. If you did, be sure to go over to iTunes, leave us a review. Witty remarks are encouraged, and we will always read those and appreciate those. It's definitely sucking. What sucks? (laughs) I don't know. I just wanted to hit that button one more time. (laughs) All right, guys. We'll see you next week. And, uh, oh, Gunther works. Yeah, that'll be a good episode. They're going to be on the episode uh, this coming week. We're going to be recording with them. Yes. And, the oh, the Patreon episode? I'm actually going to read my triple zero piece for the Patreon episode this week. That'll be interesting. So That'll be cool. uh, The entirety of it? The entire thing. I'm going to read the entire thing. Okay. I got permission to do it. So we're going to go through it, and uh, and, uh, hopefully you enjoy the experience of my melodious voice as I read it to you. I don't know how I feel about that. All right. (laughs) Bye, guys. Take care.